It is a really exciting season in the life of our church. Uh, welcome. If we haven't met, my name is Stephen, one of the pastors here. And as spring is upon us in our you know, climate and in our context, uh, also I believe there's a spring season happening in our church as well. There are signs of new growth and new life. I think about the men's and women's ministries that kicked off over the last week or two, which was uh, incredible kickoffs. I'm so thankful for all the women did and the men trying to keep up with the pace that the women set. I think about uh, next week being Easter and uh, Casey, our new worship pastor, going to be out for that. And, you know, they're probably watching online. Good to see you guys. Oh, everyone online. It's good to, good to have you with us. I think about basics coming up in a couple weeks. Community groups uh, going to be kicking off in a few weeks. And there's just so many exciting things happening. Next week is Easter. The question is, who are you going to invite to come and hear the good news of Jesus? But it's not just events that we're seeing. We're also seeing stories of healing taking place in our midst. We're seeing stories of renewal, stories of breakthrough. Uh, so many buds of new life, new growth happening in our midst. And so we want to pray for more. Uh, we want to pray for God to keep moving, for he's the God who is on the move. So let me pray. And then we're going to jump in and look at First Peter. So, Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. We actually have something to celebrate every Sunday. We have something to celebrate next week at Easter because you are alive. Jesus, we thank you that you have uh, saved us. You've poured out your love on us. And, Lord, we ask that you would uh, fill us with your spirit, help us be faithful. We thank you your word never returns void. Uh, thank you that uh, your word is powerful. It shapes us. It equips us. Lord, use this time to shape us, to be the people you are calling us to be for your glory, our joy, and others' good. And all God's people said, amen. And so I want to kick us off with a question here, church. And the question is, what are the things that you remember for life? What are the things that really stick with you? What are the things that we remember? And I'd argue it was the things that you aren't just told one time, but that you heard thousands of times. Those are the things that become the muscle memory of life, if you will, are the things we didn't just hear once, but the things we heard thousands of times. And for me, I can think of a few things. I can think about my parents uh, growing up. We grew up in the church. My parents didn't work for the church or anything. They were just faithful volunteers. And week after week after week, we would go uh, to Sunday gatherings. And I remember as a kid, I would ask, because I was a bratty preteen, and you know, I'd ask at one point, like, what are we doing on Sunday? Why do we have to go? And my mom would say to me, well, unless you're thrown up, we're going to church. You know, it didn't matter if there was a sports tournament. It's like, you're missing Sunday morning games, I guess. Like, there was a commitment to the local church. There was a commitment to the gathering of God's people. And that shaped me. I think even part of the reason I'm a pastor today is because my parents instilled in me a high view of the church. I can think about in my marriage, I've been married next month will be 10 years, which uh, feels like a... Me, this has been easy. You know, pray for Kelsey. You know, that's really who you need to be. You know, she has to put up with me for a decade. Uh, what did Jose say? When you got the microphone, you got to win the brownie points when you can, right? Uh, Kelsey would say, has said some phrases to me that have shaped me over my marriage. One of the phrases would be, I'm proud of you. I'm proud to be your wife. I'm proud that you're my husband. I'm proud of our family. And I can say that shaped me to be a certain type of man. I think about, she says to me regularly, I love you because I love you. And as a friend, you got to be careful. I love you because what you say after that, right? Like, I love you if you're, you know, because you're beautiful. And there's a sense of like, well, you know, that you can be a slave to that. Or I love you because you're smart. Well, like, you know, better keep that up, right? But I love you because I love you. Creates a non-performative uh, reality in our marriage. And there's things I want to instill into our young boys. There's things I want them to hear thousands of times that I pray will shape them. 
There's things like uh, our, the last thing I do every night before we go to bed, uh, before I put our, our, our oldest to bed, is I tell him, I love you, but Jesus loves you better. Because I want him to know that his dad loves him, but I fail him every day. And I want him to know there's one who loves him better, and it's Jesus. And here's the deal. These things become the muscle memory of life. And there's going to be things here today in this message that are going to feel like an echo. If you feel like you've heard some of the things I'm about to say, if you feel like you've heard it before, it's because you have. See, Peter is not content just to say something once in his letter. He wants to get today under our skin and into our bones. And like Peter, I don't think our primary need is we need new information. I think we just need to live out and apply what we already know. I think we actually just need to live out and apply and actually do what we already know. And so that's where we're going to be at. Uh, You can jump in with me. I got two big areas that Peter pulls out. If you got a Bible, you can turn 1 Peter chapter 4. I got two big areas that Peter wants to shape our life in. And the first one is a very light, very easy, very comfortable subject of suffering. That is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, good morning. Welcome. We're going to be talking about suffering. Welcome to First Peter. Uh, as Jose talked about last week, like, why are you still here? Like, we talk about suffering and the cost of discipleship and how hard it is to follow Jesus. And here's the thing. If you want to, like, grow your church, if you want to make people feel really comfortable, you should really avoid the book of First Peter. Uh, but here's the deal. Y'all, like, Y'all keep showing up. We have a bunch of new people that have showed up in this season. Our church has grown in First Peter. Y'all are weird, right? Like, what are, we, what are we doing here? I think about this scene from the movie Remember the Titans, which is maybe the greatest sports movie of all time, right? Uh, and there's a scene where, if you don't know the movie, it's been out for a long time, so spoilers, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it's, it's, it's the first integrated school in the South, right? And there's this football team coming together, and they're breaking down, dividing walls of racism, and they're uh, doing their summer camp before the season starts. And Denzel Washington is the head coach, right? And uh, they're doing practices two-a-days, and it's brutal. And uh, at the, the, the last practice, you know, they're doing, they're doing up-downs, right? Which I'm not going to do an up-down for you right now. Uh, why are you laughing? No, uh, so you're, you're running in place, and then now you're going to make me want to do one. And then you get down on your, you know, hit your chest on the ground, and then you pop back up. Uh, and they're doing these over and over and over again. And, you know, there's, they're bloody. They're sweating. And Denzel Washington's character says, what is pain? And they all shout out, French bread. You know, it's nothing. I eat it. I take it. It's nothing. And then he says, will you ever quit? And they all shout in one voice, no, we want some more, we want some more, we want some more. And church, you being here is telling us, you want some more, you want some more. You want, so you're going to get some more. Suffering and the uh, challenges of following uh, Jesus, how difficult it is. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal or trial that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. See, Peter is shaping our perspective on suffering so that we can be faithful in the midst of suffering. And there's a lot to unpack here. I got four things for us. First is Peter says in verse 12, do not be surprised at the trials, the ordeals, and the suffering that comes upon you because of what your faith requires of you. 
We're going to dig in here for a little bit. Peter is saying, friends, that there is a cost to discipleship. Don't be surprised, friends, when you are made fun of, when you're mocked, because you don't watch that series. You know what I'm talking about. You don't go to that club. You don't drink that much. You don't hang out at that place. You don't adopt that practice that goes against the way of Jesus. Friends, don't be surprised when you're drugged through the mud for holding to a biblical view of sexuality and gender, which I will say clearly that one man and one woman in one covenant of marriage for one lifetime and that any sexual activity outside of that one union is sin. Do not be surprised when they call you names and slander your character for believing what the church global and the church historic across every denominational line has agreed upon in one unified voice. Don't be surprised when you're ridiculed for holding on to true biblical ideals and ethics that run contrary to the way of the world. When you resist greed, when you resist bowing down to the almighty dollar, when you resist doing whatever it takes to make as much profit as possible, don't be surprised when you're passed over for the promotion. Don't be surprised uh, when, when you are maybe even let go because you're not a good fit or you don't understand the vision of the company. Don't be surprised when following the way of Jesus means you feel politically homeless. Am I alone here, right? Don't be surprised when you feel politically homeless, when you feel misunderstood, when you feel, mis, uh, when you feel maligned. Don't be surprised when the political ideologies come at you and say, see, you're what's the matter with this country. Traitor. If you would just adopt our way, and we got to say in one unified voice, no, we do not live by the way, nor does our allegiance to the donkey or the elephant. We belong to the way of the lamb. Friends, don't be surprised when we suffer for it, though. Don't be surprised when you don't tolerate sin or immaturity or you don't join in to passive-aggressive gossip or spouse-slandering nonsense. Don't be surprised when you're left out and kicked out of that friend group. Don't be surprised, parents, when you prioritize worshiping uh, Jesus and being with God's people and you don't do entire weekend sports tournaments. Don't be surprised that you're no longer invited to those birthday parties or those barbecues or that your kids get passed up for those opportunities. Do not be surprised because history is marked by a long line of people who have been slandered, who have been rejected, and who have suffered for following Jesus. In Peter's context, believers were slandered and ridiculed because they didn't partake of sinful patterns and practices in their day as well. They didn't go to the theater and engage in sexual sin. And then it would have been live, like there was literally people engaging in sexual activities on a stage. And they would not go and participate in that. They wouldn't go to the arena and indulge in violent entertainment. They wouldn't go to temples and offer false worship. They didn't declare Caesar as Lord. And for this, they were maligned, they were rejected, and many suffered and died. Peter and nearly all of the apostles were martyred for their faith. When we choose to follow Jesus and his way, we will suffer as well. And it's not easy, but it is expected. It's not easy, but it is expected. I'm not, here's the deal. I'm not a fighter. Uh, I'm not the guy, I got enough self-awareness here to know if we were doing like the Royal Rumble brawl here in the room, I'm probably not the first guy you pick on your team, you know, I, I can't lie. Self-awareness, uh, which poses an interesting question. Who would win, right? Like, you get that going on, you know, Tony's got some serious reach, but sorry, I'm not going to pick you. Uh, you know, we got, the, we got the Fultz brothers playing, you know, college football, that's a pretty good choice. But the answer is actually definitely Vadim, who has a black belt in Taekwondo. So, you know, he might be smiling and, you know, uh, looking friendly, but don't cross him or else you're going to get messed up. So, 
Here's the, here's the thing I know. I'm not a fighter, but I do know this. It's easier to take a punch that you know is coming than one that surprises you. And so Peter's saying, be ready, because punches are coming. Be ready, suffering is coming. And many around the world today still face a similar physical suffering for their faith. Us, not so much. But we will likely face societal and relational shame for our faith. Peter says in verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Peter's equipping us in this. And so second, the second thing Peter wants to pull out of here is that suffering for Jesus and societal shame for following Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. It is nothing to be ashamed of. Let's dig in here. Sister, if you're single in the room because you haven't been sleeping around, you haven't compromised, you haven't been hooking up, and you've been patiently waiting far longer than you ever thought you would be, far longer than you ever expected, and you've attended all those weddings, and you've put on all those bridesmaids' dresses, but you've never been able to walk down your own aisle with your own white dress, don't be ashamed. Brother, if the title on your resume isn't what you wish it was because you didn't jump into the rat race, you didn't make your job everything, you kept Jesus first, you you didn't live to appease your boss at whatever cost, and you aren't where you dreamed you would be, brother, don't be ashamed. Friends, if your commuter car is a 2005 Toyota Camry, old faithful, you know what I'm talking about, and your vacation was car camping, you know, you know, nothing glamorous, nothing that makes it on Instagram. Here's the deal. Before uh, we were actually gifted a car, uh, we had one vehicle, and it was, a, it was an old Hyundai Sonata where every single door handle had, like, busted off, which, how is that even possible? Arizona sun just breaking things. Both the side mirrors had, like, busted off, and you wondered, it was in a hailstorm, so it was all dented up. And you're wondering, is this thing driving to the dump, or is it driving, like, people somewhere? So I get it. I'm with you. I see you. Here's the deal. If that's, if that's where you're at because, you know, you, you were generous. You've tithed sacrificially. You know, you, you sponsored those kids in Uganda. And you didn't use all your income on yourself. Well, all your neighbors, you know, they rock in that car. You know what I'm talking about. They're, they went to that place and took those pictures over winter break and doing their vacations there. Don't be ashamed. Maybe stop comparing to other people, you know, but also don't be ashamed. And I think if, if the Lord has also blessed you with much, there's nothing wrong with that. Be faithful. Be generous. Let's keep doing good. If you find yourself, maybe students, sitting at that table in the school cafeteria because you're no longer welcome at the one you really want to be sitting at because of your faith, because you wouldn't go to that party, because you wouldn't wave that flag, because you wouldn't wear that thing, don't be ashamed. And if your family is disappointed in you, brothers and sisters, if you're not living up to be the man or woman that your parents dreamed that you would become, If you're facing rejection from those closest to you, again, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Third, Peter says that you are actually blessed for suffering in the name of Jesus. Verse 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed. And let's not do like the church thing where we nod at things that are, you know, like, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds right. When we like, nothing in us naturally believes this, right? Like, here's the deal. How can suffering be blessing? Like, let's be honest. When we think of the word blessing, suffering's not the first, you know, word that comes to mind. Suffering feels like the exact opposite of blessing, right? Like, it feels like the exact opposite. And there's this like paradox here, right? Of like, wait, suffering is blessing. I just want to say, if you hate paradoxes, Christianity is going to be like your least favorite thing in the world because death is put to death by the death of Jesus. What? Like, death is put to death by the death of Jesus. Jesus is fully man and fully God. 
The way to be great is to serve. The way up is down. Blessing is through suffering. How? How? Well, Peter's glad you asked. See, suffering is expected. It's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And suffering leads to blessing because four, if you're taking notes, God is with you in your suffering. God is with you in your suffering. God wants to make it clear that you are not alone in your suffering. God's with you. God sees you. God is present with you in it. He has not abandoned you to it. And I think naturally when we're suffering, we think that it's a sign that God has rejected us. And we think naturally it's a sign that God has, you know, he's angry with us somehow. But Peter says in verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're insulted for the name of Jesus, suffering for following the way of Jesus, God is with you. He sees you. And hear what it says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And that image throughout the scriptures is a rich, rich, rich image. Of, it's a sign of God's favor and his blessing, of the Spirit dwelling on and resting upon you. And I think about Jesus at his baptism would be a very clear sign of this, where, you know, he gets baptized by John the Baptist, and then, you know, he comes out of the water, and the Father's voice says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit descends like a dove and rests upon him. It's a sign of favor and blessing. And Peter says that if we're suffering for the name of Christ, God's spirit rests on us. And I also want to say as we talk about baptism, if you've never been baptized, uh, I'm really excited. We've got a handful of people getting baptized next Sunday. Uh, come talk to me. Have Come to the front. There's people that will be up here that want to pray with you and talk with you. I'd love to talk with you about being baptized. Uh, Jesus uh, commands us that if we follow him to be baptized. And so let us take those steps together. Here's the reality, church. Suffering unlocks and brings an intimacy and a closeness and a presence of Jesus in a way comfort simply cannot. I don't wish slander upon any of you. I don't wish suffering or loss on anybody. But I'll say in those moments, in these moments, that Jesus is closer. He is more real. And I experience his presence nearer than at any other time in my life. And that is blessing. I mean, this isn't just hypothetical, abstract conversation for, for me. I, I've had to take both our boys minutes after they were born to the, the, the NICU. I, I've, you know, when our oldest was born, you know, it's your first child. You're excited for, oh, man, you, you don't know what you're doing, right? I remember, it's like, goodness, great, we're going to be parents. I don't, this, I'm way in over my head, Right? You know, the anxiety that's coming with your first child. And then you're going through the pregnancy. And, and my wife has type 1 diabetes, so it was already a high-risk pregnancy. And, you know, we're, 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 you're nervous. You're anxious. And then he's born. And, you know, just if I, there's, I didn't have any sisters, you know, or anything like that. And I, there's just so much I did not understand about <laughs> childbirth and about just all that was going to be going on there. And uh, I'll say, and moms in the room are strong. <laughs> that. And there's a sense here of, you know, all that goes on. And then, you know, baby's born and you're, everyone's crying. You're overwhelmed. And then we go to take his blood sugar and it's dangerously low. And, and there's a reality of if, if your blood sugar gets to a certain level, you actually can go into a coma. And there's a reality of our, our son's blood sugar was in a dangerous place. So they have to take him away from us minutes after he's born and rush him off to the NICU. I remember in that moment, uh, just looking around and we're, we're all shell-shocked. from He was just born minutes ago. And just be like, what is going on? 
we get up to the NICU and he's got ports connected to him everywhere and he's, you know, hours old. And there's nothing I can do that can fix this. And we don't know if he's going to be okay. We don't know what's going on. So we spend a week in the NICU trying to stabilize him. I've been in the children's hospital and had the neurologist say to me, sit down. This is not good news. Your son has a very serious brain disease. You know, it's eight weeks after moving your whole family across the country. And then God, really? Like, we're going to get brain disease? And I think about in that place, I think about in those moments that Jesus is present in like any other. I think about in that place of uncertainty. We didn't know. We, we don't know what's going to happen with our youngest. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. We don't know. I can picture sitting in Randall Children's Hospital and Jesus' presence being palpable. I can think about, you know, our son now is four years old. He's doing great. The blood sugars have resolved, praise God. But there's a reality of in that uncertainty, in the unknown, where there's no promises that it will work out, Jesus is near, unlike any level of comfort can bring. I think about this line from this artist named Paige CXVI, and she says, in the places we don't choose. I would never choose children's hospitals. I would never choose the NICU. In the places we don't choose, Lord, you move. You move. Jesus is near, church, for he knows suffering. He knows rejection. He knows pain. He knows betrayal. He knows what it feels like to be misunderstood. He knows loss. And he sees you. He sees you. And is with you as you share in his sufferings as well. Amen? Tracking? Just one more word on suffering, then we'll, we'll keep moving. I, I think... There's also a, a, I won't belabor this point, but Peter makes it clear that we're only blessed if we suffer for Jesus' sake in a way that honors Jesus, right? He says, we're not blessed for suffering as a criminal or a murderer or a thief. We're not blessed if we suffer for being a jerk or being obnoxious or being rude. Like they said this a few weeks ago, the only thing that should be offensive about a Christian is the gospel. Like we should not be known as, as jerks. And, uh, you know, nobody can sit there and be like, you know, there's a couple cellmates in jail. And I was like, what are you in for? And the guy's like, the Lord's work. And I was like, what? And he's like, tax fraud. You know, I was like, no, that's not the Lord's money laundering. Out here doing the Lord's work, suffering for Jesus. Tax evasion. I'm like, no, that's, that's not, that ain't it. <laughs> that's not what Peter's talking about here. You are blessed if you suffer. For Jesus' sake. And so Peter is inviting us not into a victim mindset. We're, we're victorious with Jesus. But he is inviting us to a shift in perspective on suffering for, for Christ that it's expected, that it's nothing to be ashamed of, that it's a sign of blessing and that God is with you. And he's inviting us to adopt this perspective on suffering. And a shift in perspective on suffering leads to a shift in a second area as well, a perspective in a second area. This one's just as exciting and just as uplifting and just as Care Bear warm fuzzies. Judgment. First suffering, now judgment. You're welcome. And it's okay if your natural reaction to that was awkward laughter because you're like, I don't know if I feel excited about judgment. Uh, Why are you here? We want some more. 
We want some more. We want some more. My goal here is that we'd actually see this as good news, though, in all seriousness. Maybe you can say woo to uh, judgment. Uh, Pick it up with me in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. That's a hard word. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, Peter, again, he's shaping our perspective on judgment so that we'll be prepared on the day when we stand before our judge, the Lord. And we got to be honest here for a second. Like, what comes to mind when you hear the word judgment? What comes to mind? Like, I wonder if uh, you picture, you know, a guy in like a a little devil in like a red spandex suit with his pitchfork, you know, cackling in some fire or something. It's like, there's no comm team here with the camera. Praise God. Uh, I don't want this forever on Instagram. Uh, Or maybe you picture, you know, Christians being judgmental. And I want to say about that image, you know, with the guy in the spandex suit. We got that image from somewhere. Maybe the Looney Tunes or something. It ain't from the Bible. Let me just say, like, that image comes from somewhere. It ain't from the Bible. Or maybe you picture Christians being judgmental, which in our day is like the worst sin. The, The cardinal sin is, you know, everything is okay except saying something's not okay, right? Like, this is the world we live in. But what, I don't want to take our cues from the world or definitely not from cartoons. Uh, so what does the Bible say about judgment? Verse 17 says that judgment begins with the household of God. And this theme, it's woven throughout the whole scriptures, that judgment does not begin with those far off from God. It doesn't begin with our enemies out there somewhere. It begins with God's family. It begins with his people. It begins with you. It begins with me. It begins with us. But the question becomes, what kind of judgment awaits us? What kind of judgment awaits us? And we get a hint of this in verse 12, if you go back and look at that, when Peter talks about the fiery trial. And that image of fire is a symbol. And the original audience, their, their ears would have perked up to this. It's a symbol of God's judgment, fire. But in the Bible, fire has two purposes. It's either a purifying or a consuming fire. And both have a ton of imagery throughout all of Scripture. For the Christian, the fire of judgment is a purifying fire. Like putting gold in a fire refines it. It removes the impurities. It makes it even more beautiful. Uh, Today, Peter is calling back, as he uses this image again, to something he's already said. Again, if you feel like you've heard this before, it's because you have. He's calling back to chapter 1. It's going to be up on the screen here, verses 6 and 7. Now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and trial of all kinds of trials, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, for the Christian, the fire of judgment is a purifying fire, proving the genuineness of our faith, refining us to become more like Jesus. Our sufferings today are part of this fire that God is using to purify us, to refine us, and actually, uh, almost mysteriously, assure us and prove that our faith is genuine. And and the the word is literally in there of testing. And this image is used all throughout 1 Peter. And when we think of testing, we think about, you know, letter grades, academia, right? And as somebody who went to the prestigious, illustrious, distinguished California State University, Chico, uh, I I know a lot about letter grades. And you know it's it's a rigorous uh, collegiate experience when I took very difficult courses like the history of rock and roll. Uh, If you want to talk Credence, Clearwater Revival, I'm your guy. Um, Pre-calculus... not me. Did somebody just say woo about pre-calculus? <laughs> we must be an intel town. That's amazing. Uh, but this testing is not that. 
it is a, a, a testing to see if what is there is the real thing. It's like testing the structural integrity of, of a roof or something, which I'm really glad that we're in here right now and the guy who built this didn't just wing it and say, yeah, I think those beams look strong enough. Yeah, that roof, that, that, that should do it. No, there was testing that went involved. And, and the reality is there's been actually horrible, tragic situations where a building looked good from the outside, but then testing came, you know, there was a storm or there was uh, bad weather or something, and then the whole thing collapses. It was tragic. And there's a sense here of that type of testing that's going on, melting gold to test the authenticity. I don't just go to a jeweler and say, oh yeah, this is a, this is a pure gold necklace. Oh yeah, just take your word. No, you test it to make sure what is there is the real thing. And in this sense, trials and suffering are actually a paradox of assurance and comfort. And I gotta explain this. I think this is a, a delicate balance here. But I wanna take a... Uh, a room this size, I know there are many in here who have struggled with infertility or even, even miscarriages. And I think about a family that has walked through this, and this is near even to our family, these trials and sadness. And there's a reality of, you know, you're preparing, you're longing to be a mom and a dad, and you're walking through, you got the nursery made, and then these tragedies strike. That's heartbreaking. It's horrible. And every single one of us knows somebody who has walked through this. And I think about you know, you've been waiting, you've had to walk through these trials, and then all of a sudden you, you get that positive pregnancy test and you're, you're, you're cautious, you know, optimistic about it because, you know, you've walked down this road, but then all of a sudden you start feeling nauseous, right? And although the nausea is uncomfortable, and although the nausea is nothing that we would necessarily choose, although the nausea is unpleasant, the nausea is actually a comfort and an assurance to this mother and this family that there is a viable baby growing inside. The, the morning sickness, the nausea is actually a sign of comfort and of assurance. And this suffering brings blessing. And this trial brings assurance. And Peter says, so it is with us when we suffer for the name of Jesus. See, for the Jesus follower, we face the fire of judgment. And we face it through suffering today. And all of this is the fire of refinement, proving the genuineness of our faith. But, Christian, you and I, we will also be judged on the last day. For judgment begins with the household of God. But on the final day, and we got to hear this, you and I, we will never be condemned if we are in Christ. The, this refinement, this fire actually leads to great celebration when Jesus says to us, welcome, well done, enter in and rest. And I'm going to say it, church, as clearly as I know how, that there indeed, brother and sister, is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. On that final day, we will rejoice that we have been fully forgiven, adopted, and restored. But until that day, we need the refiner's fire. But also there's that second image that, judgment, that the fire of judgment brings. We talked about refinement, but there's a second image, and it's a consuming fire. And again, I just want to put that filter on as we read this text again in verse 17. Peter says, For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And I want to say this clearly. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, Peter is giving a loving warning to you here. Judgment is coming. 
but it is not a refining fire. It is a consuming fire. Judgment will either lead to a great celebration or horrible condemnation. Judgment will either lead to hearing forgiven, free, new, innocent, or it will lead to hearing guilty. Here's the deal. I'd be a sad excuse of a preacher. Somebody better get my microphone if I did not answer the obvious question here. How can anyone stand before a holy God as a sinful man or a woman and hear those good news words of innocent, free, righteous, or new? How can anyone stand? I'm going to say you can't stand in and of yourself. You cannot stand in and of your own effort. You can only hear forgiven and free and new and by trusting and by loving and by surrendering to Jesus alone. By trusting in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And God in his timing, we didn't intentionally choose this. God is the most intentional leader. God in his timing is allowing us to walk through this passage on this day, which is Palm Sunday. This Sunday represents the beginning of what church history calls Holy Week. And where Jesus enters Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey, right? And he enters in to praise. He's being coronated as king. He's being praised as Messiah and Lord over all creation. And the Pharisees are rebuking Jesus, saying, hey, make these people be quiet. And he says, if these people are quiet, the very stones are going to cry out, right? Because he's Lord of all things. But Palm Sunday leads to the cross of Good Friday. The coronation leads to crucifixion. And the question is, how can a day marked by the torture and the pain and the death of Jesus be called good? How is this considered good? 1 Peter 3, verse 18. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, Steve Marshman, and we were talking. Uh, it'll be up on the screen here. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. For good news to truly be good news, it's got to invade bad spaces. For good news to be good news, it's got to invade bad uh, places and spaces and situations where there is uh, a longing for something good to be spoken in. And Good Friday is good because it proclaims good news to people like you and me, people who are desperate for rescue, people who are desperate for renewal, who are desperate for life and desperate for forgiveness, who are naturally far from God. It's Good Friday. It shouts that through Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, he takes my record and he takes my punishment and he gives me his record and his righteousness. Jesus on the cross, once and for all, he bore the punishment of our sins, satisfied satisfying God's judgment. This is good news. This is good news. This is, this is why we're here celebrating. because I'm going to get preaching here. At the cross, Jesus substitutes himself for me. At the cross, Jesus substitutes. And we get excited for touchdowns and Super Bowls and, you know, goals and all. This is better news than that. Let me tell you, this is better news. Here's the deal. On the cross, Jesus is found guilty and I am found innocent. At the cross, Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus was struck down so that we could be set free. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus was condemned so that we could be forgiven. See, Jesus was cut off so that we could be adopted in. Jesus was crucified so that we could be justified. See, Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. And Jesus was crushed so that we could be renewed and redeemed and restored and reconciled to God. Amen? Amen. That's good news. That's good news. And it's only good. It's only good news because a bloody cross leads to an empty tomb, which is what we're going to celebrate next week at Easter. Amen? 
I'm going to say, y'all ready or what? Like, you get that going on? Yes. And I'll say that if you think I'm excited, wait till you see Jose on Easter, man. You get that going on. See, Jesus' death is the end of the old. And Jesus' resurrection marks the beginning of the new. For every person here, you, me, all of us included, the, the call is the same. The call is that we would turn to Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, obey Jesus, and receive the invitation from Jesus to follow me. Whether this is the first time or the 4,000th time, the call is the same, to turn to Jesus and follow him. All right, one more verse. Now that I'm sweating, let's start landing this plane. Verse 19. So then, I mean, it's good news. Some things are just worth getting excited about. And us being dead to sin and alive in Christ, it's just good news. It's just good news. All right, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And if, if there's one verse that sums up in many ways much of the message of 1 Peter, and definitely the message today, it's this, that we should expect suffering, that, that suffering may indeed come for us if we seek to do good and we seek to follow the way of Jesus, that suffering may come, but let's commit ourselves to our faithful creator. Let's commit ourselves to his justice and his judgment and let us all, whether we see this, experience this or not, let us all continue to do good. No matter what suffering comes our way, we trust God, we trust his judgment, and we continue to do good. Because God is faithful. God is good. So commit yourself to him. Entrust yourself to him. And this isn't passive. Sometimes we hear the word faith and it sounds passive. It's not. This is active. I want to say, if you're suffering for the name of Jesus, keep doing good. Vindication is coming. The truth is one day going to come out. One day every wrong is going to be made right. One day every injustice is going to be put right. One day every abuse is going to be rectified. One day Jesus is going to return and justice is going to roll down like a mighty stream. Jesus wins. Easter is proof. He is alive and we are victorious with him. God can do all things. But there is one thing he cannot do, church. There is one thing he cannot do and that is fail. Come on now. God can do all things but he cannot fail. He is good. He is victorious. And we are victorious with him, so keep doing good. And if you are suffering because you live in a broken world of viruses and cancer and disease and disaster and war and loss and death, don't lose heart. The longing for a world without suffering points to a longing for Jesus' glorious return when he renews this world and all pain and sorrow and death will be but a memory. And for those suffering today, we echo the author of Hebrews which says that we greet that final day from afar. We greet this final day from afar. And for our family, this rings just as especially good news. For those of us who are suffering in the room, this rings as good news. It's like I said, my wife, she has type 1 diabetes. It'll, it's incurable. But there will be a day where all the insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors and insulin shots will all be uh, melted away. They will all be done. They will all be, uh, they, they will one day meet, have their, uh, they will one day have their funeral. <laughs> 
There will be no more. And we are going to sit together uh, in the new kingdom. And we're going to sit together in the restored world. And we are going to eat. And my wife also has celiac disease. And we're going to have pizza and cake. And we're going to have, you know, pasta. And there are going to be no insulin shots for it. I can think about my son who has a brain disease. And we don't know what the future is going to hold with that. But one day his brain will be set free. And there will be no more lasting effects of this horrible disease. One day, I can see there's multiple people in auditorium right now who are in wheelchairs. Y'all going to be running wind sprints in the kingdom of God. We're going to be playing basketball and baseball. We can do up-downs. Uh, <laughs> we are doing that together. And it will be glorious and good. But we greet that day from afar. For it's not today. It isn't today. But one day, our faith will be made sight. One day, Jesus will return. One day, suffering will end. One day, it will be on earth as it is in heaven, with heaven descends and all of creation is renewed. One day, every tear is going to be wiped away. And one day, all things will be made new. One day. So don't lose heart, brother and sister, because today, you are one day closer to that day. Don't lose heart, for Jesus is with you today. And if you're suffering because you've done wrong, if you're suffering guilt because you failed to stand firm, you, you read these passages and you're like, I haven't done this. Let us not forget who wrote this letter, friends. Peter, the one who denied Jesus, the one who abandoned Jesus, and the one who is still beloved by Jesus. Later, Peter dies for the faith and boldness. He goes from rejecting Jesus, abandoning Jesus, to dying in boldness for Jesus. Think about what happened. What changed? He met the risen Jesus. He met the risen Jesus. God's spirit rested upon him, as he describes it, and filled Peter and empowered Peter to pass the fiery trial and the test. And I want to say, if you've trusted in Jesus and you've surrendered to Jesus, the same Spirit dwells upon you and empowers you and rests upon you so that you can live a new life as well. It's never too late to turn. It's never too late to trust. We're never hopeless if we have the Spirit of God. So church, to close, the things we remember, the muscle memory of life, are the things we heard a thousand times. So this Palm Sunday, this upcoming Good Friday, this upcoming Easter Sunday, it proclaims good news of old. That in Christ you are forgiven. You are free. You are chosen. You are new. And Peter, of all people, he knows what it's like to fail. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to fall short. And Peter, of all people, is lifting our heads to see our faithful creator. And as the band comes forward, God's been faithful through all generations. He is not going to fail now. Let's entrust ourselves to him. We received his grace, so let's invite others in to experience his good news as well. Next weekend is Easter. This is an incredible opportunity for us to steward because people actually come if we invite them to come, right? Good, uh, Easter and, and Christmas Eve are, are two days where people will actually come if we invite them. So the question is, who are you going to take that step and invite? and reach out to and invite in to experience life in Jesus. We believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that life is only found in him. So let's invite others in to taste and see that God is good. So church family, let us commit to our faithful creator and keep doing good.
This is the message of 1 Peter. You've heard it. Let's live it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are good. We thank you that you are faithful even when we're faithless. Spirit of God, would you empower us in this place? I know that in this room there's pain. I know in this room there's loss. I know in this room there's hurt. Lord, would you turn our eyes to you? You are the God of all comfort. Would you bring comfort and peace in this place? Lord, would we see you for who you are? Savior and Lord, that if Peter could still be chosen in love despite his rejection of you, his abandonment of you, Lord, we have hope. Lord, we look to you. We respond to you. We thank you that you've loved us, not because of us, but in spite of us. Lord, help us to faithfully respond. No matter what comes, suffering comes, hardship comes, help us be faithful in it and continue to do good. For you're good and you deserve it all. We trust you. We commit ourselves to you.